you are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, everybody, to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery. As always, it is an honor and a pleasure to have you here for the next 30 to 45 minutes. I have an amazing special guest for you. I found him over on Facebook whenever I posted uh, something about the emotional feelings wheel. He had some really great content to throw into the conversation, and I just thought he is a must-have on the show for you, especially because we're going through quarantine right now. A lot of us are holed up in our houses. In fact, I would imagine all of us are holed up in our houses an extraordinarily amount of time that we were not prepared for. And therefore, we're now dealing with having all of these other people in our space on a consistent basis. How are your thoughts? How are your feelings, your behaviors, your emotions? How are all of these starting to interplay? We're going to bring on Doctor of Psychology, Terry Wager. He's the co-founder of the Generator Coaching and Consulting Company. He's also a hypnotist. He's got a background in neuro-linguistic programming as well. I've brought this up to you all very many times. So let's just go ahead without any further ado. Welcome to the show, Dr. Terry Wager. Thank you, Jesse. How are you? I am spectacular. It is great to have you on today. It's good to be here. Now, like I was saying before about... um, the Facebook post that I made. I'm over here looking at it right now. The the feelings emotional wheel. When I posted, I said I love this wheel. It really helps me visualize my emotions and the corresponding feelings and actions that will come from them. Um, your very first comment was that feeling wheel has more behaviors than emotions. That's why we have such a huge problem with communication. We have to understand the difference between behaviors and emotions to communicate effectively. Uh, let's see what I went on. Uh, somebody else wanted to know more, which is why you're here. Uh, you said emotions are experiential. Behaviors are observable. For example, anger is not an emotion. It is a behavior because it is observable. Let's talk about that. When Because whenever I think of anger, uh, happiness, surprise, sadness, when I look at this wheel, and for those of you who want to see it, jump over to um, at From Sobriety to Recovery on either Facebook or Instagram, and you'll be able to see this. Um, I see how these technically are emotions, but then, yes, they're all observable. So are, aren't all emotions observable and, and back and forth? Dive into this because I really feel like your take is just very unique. Right. So... You know, I'm one take in many takes, and and so I'm not going to say that anybody else is wrong. Um, I can't say that for sure. Uh, These are all theories that are out there. Um, So I'll say that first, but now we'll talk about my theory. Uh, And my theory is that behaviors are how we express the emotions that we cannot see. And so when we're looking at the behaviors, anger, uh, sadness, those types of things are actually behaviors because they are expressing something inside that is much more unconscious that we're not aware of. And so when I'm talking about um, behaviors are observable, uh, you can see it. And so we do have a feeling, it's a physical reaction in in our body that's much more real feeling, um, a physiological response. But that's our body reacting to the emotion that we have. And so I think about when, when I hear somebody talk about feeling angry, I'm like, well, you are angry because you're feeling powerless. And so the behavior is anger to combat that feeling of powerlessness. And, you know, that's one huge thing that I see everybody, no matter where they are, whether they're in recovery or they're not, 
everybody battles with this feeling of uh, with with uh, this feeling of powerlessness. And what we try to do is we become powerful by becoming angry to combat that. Let me dive into that a little bit more because I, I feel like we're now we're starting to touch upon, especially anger is something that, like you were saying before we got on the microphone and hit record, that you know it's like you would wake up and you would get you just get triggered by just being awake, and then your your brain would have woken up thirty minutes earlier and gotten you full of anxiety. So right, right. It's like like we're 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 having these emotions and yet. It's like we think they're tangible and we can touch upon them and we can figure them out, but it's it's much more in-depth than that. Right. So um, I'll back up a little bit more than that and say um, that I have actually been in recovery myself for about 24 years this time. Um, when I was a teenager, I had about three and a half years to try it again, and, and it didn't work so well that first time. But um, I got to a place where I was really sick of me and sick of my behavior and sick of everything I was doing, and I had to stop. And so one of the things that I struggled with was powerlessness, a very, very, uh, strong, uh, strong isn't even the word for it. It was just, I felt powerless over my world, powerless over my behavior, powerless over everything. And I just felt inundated with emotion and I didn't know what it was. I just knew that I couldn't hack life. I could not do life. Um, life on life's terms didn't work for me. Um, and you know, the idea of frightened, was too small. I was terrified. Um, I didn't know how to interact with people. I didn't know how to interact with myself. Um, I, I could, didn't want to be alone with me. Um, and so that got me to a place where I really had to start making changes because my life sucked. Um, I got sober, uh, I think I was 26, um, 25, 26, something like that. Um, I don't want to do the math. Uh, and so <laughs> I, <laughs> and so, um, I just knew that there was something that was going on with me and I could never communicate it well. I'd tell people I'm angry. They knew that. I'd tell people I'm sad. They said, I would be too in your situation. You know, I, I, I there was a time where I was depressed and outside of a, a meeting room and falling apart and I would be too in your situation. Do something. And I'm like, oh. Um, and so I always got those responses whenever I talked about my behavior as if I was feeling it. I would get the wrong response. I just felt like people couldn't understand what the hell I'm talking about. And so when I started to really um, make changes, it was more changing my behaviors. Um, and a lot of people talk, uh, especially in recovery, talk about you have to live your way into new thinking. Um, and so I started to think about that myself and it didn't get me anywhere. But when I started actually doing the things that people told me to in the different programs that I was in, um, my life started to change. And I went to school, became a psychologist. On the way through that, I started to realize that there's a very different experience of emotion versus the observable behavior. And the behavior is actually telling us what we're feeling and telling other people what we're feeling. And that's how it works. And so our behaviors are actually telling people there's something deeper inside that we're feeling. So I love where you're going with this. And for those of y'all who've been listening to my show for a while, then you know that I talk about the life coaching model a lot, where an outside trigger, a circumstance, something happens, which triggers a thought, which causes a feeling, which drives an action, which creates a result. Now what Terry's bringing to us is, is, is he's having us work backwards, where you're actually 
you're actually in the middle of an action and that that's, that's showing people that you're having a feeling inside of you. And we're going to talk about thoughts and feelings and which one comes first chicken and the egg. We had a great pre, (laughs) we had a, we had a great pre podcast conversation on that. Um, so for the listeners out there, and this was something immediately that came to mind when we started talking about thoughts and feelings and which one comes first is, and before we get into behaviors versus emotions is what is your, suggestion? What is your opinion on how people should begin to take in all of this new information that they're introduced to in sobriety and recovery and figure out how to make it their own? Because you're going to bring us a different point of view. I'm bringing different points of view. Everybody you listen to is going to have this different point of view. Many times over, they're going to be not necessarily drastically different, but different enough that some people might find themselves, wow, this person, that that sounded really great, but that totally contradicts what this person said. And that sounded so great. (laughs) How how do they possibly figure out, I guess, you know, if there was a fishing metaphor, which bait to use to hook the best sobriety and recovery for themselves? Right. And one of the the things that you're talking about right now is actually something that uh, me and my partner are working on with uh, developing to bring to the stage. And that's really how do you shut the noise off? How do you shut the noise off? And how do you actually know what's right and wrong? And the reality is, is we all have experience. And we all have experience and we all have the experience of interpreting what is right and wrong. And a lot of it comes from the noise we hear. And for me, um, it really goes back to uh, a term that they use in some of the 12-step programs, uh, how, open, uh, honest, open, and willing. Um, willing to see that there might be a different way. Uh, honest with yourself about the fact that I don't know for sure. And the reality is, is in everything that I believe I could be wrong about. I've been wrong about a lot of stuff in my life and I have proof. And for myself, I lived years and years with trial and error. Actually, I tried the same thing over and over. It didn't work. Um, and then when I started trying new things that other people told me, my life started to change. And so really uh, valuing the brilliance of others, valuing their experience, and then I don't have to go through some of the pain that they went through is huge. And then really weighing when somebody says something and I disagree with it, I get mad, I get rageful, I resentful. Um, There's a big signal right there that I'm having a problem with it. I'm having some emotions around it. And so that's a perfect time to stop and look at what's going on with me emotionally that I want to fight with that. That's a very good thing to bring up is because especially for me, I love to read. I'm constantly diving into new material, you know, thinking, okay, if I'm going to input this into my brain, how can I output it into the podcast, into the book, into whatever it is I'm doing? Um, And then when somebody has the audacity to tell me (laughs) that what I have researched for 20 hours isn't necessarily right and might might be wrong. Oh, boy. (laughs) And I, you know, and I tell this to my audience all the time. So for those of y'all out there listening, you know, you've heard me say this is that um, I am not the definitive answer. I do not think that I know everything, but I certainly am still working on really believing what I just said, because there's times (laughs) where I'm just like, no, I have worked too hard and studied too much to have this rando person come up and tell me, nope, everything you just said can completely be disproven by this person over there. And it freaks me out because I do have this this uh, intense desire to um, always be right. And uh, I think it comes from being told I was wrong so much as a child and daddy issues and, you know, the usual stuff that we're all working through. So when you, 
when you've seen this happen in other people, for the audience members out there who are like, yeah, you know, I hate being told that I'm wrong or I've done so much research to be told being right. Do you have a system for yourself, Terry, that allows you to reel in that emotion and say, okay, you know what? I'm getting emotionally triggered. And they're, they're, why? Why am I getting emotionally triggered by this one person, you know, disclaiming whatever, whatever it is that I have built? Is it because we were building our identity upon that knowledge? And, and when somebody tries to crush at our identity, we lash out so much? And if so, what do you do to reel that in? I think that that, that's a good point. And I think that there is a lot of identity locked up in our beliefs. And so uh, we have this idea that I am my beliefs. But the reality is, is, and I learned this in hypnosis, is I can make somebody believe all kinds of stuff. I can make them believe that there's a dog under their chair barking at them. I can make them believe that uh, there's a bug flying around their head going to sting them. I can make them believe that... They are watching the funniest movie they've ever seen, and they respond if it's true. But there's nothing going on except they're sitting in a chair listening to the sound of my voice making them believe it because they agreed to it. And so our beliefs are nothing other than things that we programmed ourselves in a way to to agree with. And as soon as we disagree, now I don't believe. And it works that way for uh, a dog barking in your chair that doesn't exist or you know a higher power whichever higher power you have. And I mean, I strongly believe in a higher power, but I didn't before I got sober and I didn't get that before I got into the recovery and, and growth spurt. You know, I, I chose to believe it didn't exist. Um, and it was all fear-based. I don't believe in God cause he didn't kill me. If, if he exists, he'll kill me. Um, <laughs> and I don't want to die. So I can't believe him. And, and, you know, believing that that would work, is kind of stupid in itself. And so the the funny thing is, is we have all of these different beliefs that we create. And so for me, my one tip to anybody is ask yourself how you're wrong. It's it's the scientific method. Um, whenever, and, and this is probably geeking out a little bit too much, but uh, whenever anybody's doing an experiment in, in a lab, they they go from the hypothesis that there is no change and that your guess about what might happen is wrong. And so I took that with me and go, okay, every time I ever go into a situation, um, I'm afraid of people. I'm afraid of what they think of me. I'm afraid that I'm wrong. And so I'm going to go in asking myself how I'm wrong. How am I reading the situation wrong? That guy in the corner over there hates me. How am I wrong about that? Maybe I should go say hi. That girl, she's way all about herself. How am I wrong about that? Maybe I should go talk to her. And so what I'm really having is I'm having a fear that's triggered. And then I tell myself a story that those people are this way or that way. And I prejudge it. And then because I did that, now I cut myself off from their brilliance in some way. And the way that I fix it is I ask myself how I'm wrong about that and then go check. And it's... it. It's done amazing things for my life to ask myself how I'm wrong and then challenge myself to be open and willing to be open to find out. I love what you just said so much that I took notes down for future episodes. 
uh, really, because I, I love this idea of asking myself, how am I wrong? You know, I, I think that when we get into the AA Refuge Recovery Smart Meetings and we look around a room and we see 10, 10 different accents, 10 different nationalities, 10 different shades of skin color, and we immediately start to make assumptions, whether we like to or not, there's all these unconscious pre-programmed ideas about people, places, and things in our head. And then we can easily shut ourselves off to the brilliance that can come from anyone. Right, the wise man and the wise man and the fool meet upon the path. Who learn? Who learns more? The, the wise man, because the fool never listens. You know, you, you take that right. to heart, and you, right. you realize that there's something amazing to be learned from everybody, and to immediately shut them off, shut anything off that could teach you something new. And I see so much in our own society, whether it be with politics or religion or, or what what country you're from, what state you're from, we lock our identity onto this belief about who those people are, what, the, what it is they represent. And we immediately shut ourselves down to any of the similarities that might be happening between us that could humble us and make us realize, oh, wow, this person is no different than I, they just have a different system of beliefs that they're following, but yet we all have a lot of similarities. For sure. For sure. And when we start looking at the similarities, we start realizing how alike we are and it starts to bring us together. I mean, look at, look at the, the COVID-19 coronavirus right now, the more we, we start to realize how similar we are in that. And everybody has to have the same protocols and have the same uh, response to that if we all want to survive or thrive. That's awesome that you brought that up. It's even more awesome that you said survive versus thrive because I have brought that up for the last month on this show and on my other podcast, College Success Habits. I'm all like, I'm all about how are we going to thrive rather than just survive this moment. Um, so that's really great that you <laughs> you did yeah. that on accident. Let's go to uh, one or of the main I? points. <laughs> yeah, you're like, or was I always paying attention, Jesse? Um, be- behaviors versus emotions. Right. When we let let's let's wrap this around the current quarantine because it is what's happening. And for those of you listening during the uh, in the archives to older episodes, then you'll definitely remember this quarantine. Um, when people are locked inside the same house with um, other people on such a level as we are now, um, a lot of emotions, right? We're going to have a lot of thoughts. They're going to have a lot of feelings. There's going to be emotions and there's going to be behaviors and actions that come from that. How can you uh, bring your expertise to help them understand, again, how to rein in their emotions so that their behaviors don't antagonize others, so they don't feel antagonized uh, by other people's um, actions and behaviors so that they can stay more emotionally even? Because uh, my biggest worry is that, especially in the addiction community, we're going to get triggered to a great deal. And because we have so much, quote unquote, free time, um, our natural <laughs> inclination is to be, you know, go back to what we know and what we've known for so many years is, uh, you know, suffering, addiction and abuse. Right, right. And so I couldn't say that better myself. Um, we really do fall back into old habits. Um, and I believe... Um, I don't think we talked about this before, but I firmly believe that habits are just automatic patterned, uh, patterned through our emotions, but automatic behaviors that we have when our emotions are triggered. And so the other interesting thing is, and, um, I will have a lot, I get a lot of flack from a lot of different people that love habits and, and positive habits. I don't believe that there's a whole lot of positive habits out there. I have never really gotten in the habit of getting up and working out. I have to intentionally decide what I want to do. Um, I can put it on a calendar and I still slip into not doing it. 
Um, I have same thing with uh, any kind of diet or weight loss or um, when I was a smoker, because I was a smoker for years, um, I didn't get up and go, um, I am going to not smoke today. No, I, I did do that when I quit. Um, I, I didn't like just slip into the habit of not smoking. I had to slip in. I, I had to really intentionally, boy, I'm, I'm messing this up, but I really had to intentionally um, think about what I wanted and what my goal was and what my outcome was supposed to be. Um, just as if I was going to go and um, go to some place and look it up on a map, put it in my uh, GPS and drive there, I had to do the same thing with what I wanted as my outcomes. And so for me, the habits are just what we slip into. But intentional action to change what I want to do and change who I want to be, that is an intentional, continuous, I wouldn't say habit, but um, it's because it, I fall out of that too. Um, well, would it be a, a, like an intentional, intentional, continuous, uh, conscious decision? Yes. Yes. And so it has to be, you know, I went to school for psychology. I, I've used this example for a long time. Um, I went to school. The decision to go to school was a momentary decision, but every day I had to re-decide that and go to class and do the assignment. There was many times that I slipped into, I'll admit it, I played video games. Um, I'd slip into one and play video games and play rather than do the homework. Um, and that's why I'm not very good at what I do. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and so I'm super good at it so I could play video games. Um, but uh, no, I, I, I had to really make the decision every day that I'm going to do the work, that I'm going to actually make the steps forward that I'm going to put aside what I want to do or what I really want to do, but my head doesn't, if that makes any sense. And so that, that part of me that really doesn't want to do it, I'm really lazy and I don't want to do it. I want to watch TV or I want to go out with my girlfriend or I, I want to um, go and, and eat a bunch of cake. But no, I have to, I have to train myself to really look at what matters most in that moment and do that. And for me, that started with not drinking just for today, just not drinking for this moment when right. I first started, especially the first time I was, I, I, I'm not doing it, you know, the first time I, I got sober, I did it out of fear. And as the fear left, I had to fight more and more to not do those things. The habit was very easy to fall back into. But the intentional reasoning and the intentional desire and paying attention to what I wanted was much more difficult. And I'm so, loving. Oh, please, please finish up. Uh, I think I made my point. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I love where you're going with this, because I've spoken many times about how there really is no such thing as a good or a bad habit. It's just an action that we we repeatedly do that gives us a a a. a stimulated response. We know exactly what's going to come from it. Some people will say, okay, so you're going to tell me that heroin uh, addiction isn't a bad habit. I'm like, uh, you know, somewhere out there on this planet, we could find somebody who is addicted to heroin who probably owns a Fortune 500 company, mm -hmm. right? There was, there was a period of time where Wall Street was inundated back in the 90s with, it was, they were, I remember there being articles, bear versus bull market, and how many of these people were on cocaine and heroin. Oh, yeah. So now, was their life running out of control and was it in shambles? Sure. But were, did they have $500 million? Probably. So you, it's all, you know, that's a subjective. Thought. Sure. But where, where I loved where you were going with this is it really is 
it's like when I talk about working out, like, yes, the, the desire to work out is the habit. I, I know today when we get off the microphone, it's time to work out. The habit of wanting to work out, it's there. My brain's like, we should work out today. But I have to be extremely intentional. I'm mm-hmm. making sure, okay, as soon as this recording's done and we're at 2.30, I'm going to start doing my workout, right? So you're right. Just because it's a habit to want to work out doesn't mean it's an actual habit to instigate the action of working out. Right. I think it's really important that people realize like you can want to form new habits. Not smoking for you isn't probably something that you intentionally think of not doing every day because now it's not even necessarily a habit for you not to smoke. It is just not what you do. Exactly. Exactly. Where So in that regard, not drinking and not using drugs can simply one day become the thing that you just don't do. Right. But to stay balanced and cemented in our recovery, we have to, I think, to me, constantly be looking at ways to understand why our mind is is thinking and behaving in the way that it is. Uh, because like they say, relapse starts months before it actually occurs. Oh, yeah. and, I, and I think that might be where people start to think, oh, well, I'm on cruise control. I haven't used for three and a half years. Everything's going to be fine. I'm coming up on three and a half years. You relapsed when you were younger at three and a half years. Yeah. So I realize <laughs> I don't just get to go on cruise control with this. Right. It's definitely something that we have to pay attention to. And that's it's, it's really about being intentional. And, um, you know, getting to that is um, really finding balance in our lives isn't about trying to make everything outside of us okay. Um, I can't do that. I don't have control. And I, I don't think I'll ever have control of what's outside of me. Um, I only have control of myself. And so it goes back to the how open, honest, willing to look at myself. And when we separate behaviors from emotions and really be able to see, okay, anger is a behavior, but it's under that. Um, that's an emotion. The, there's maybe several emotions. Um, maybe I felt invalidated because somebody said something and I took it personally. Uh, I felt attacked because they said something I took it personally. Um, uh, you know, which taking it personally, by the way, is a behavior. Um, I felt disappointed because I didn't get what I wanted. Or I felt powerless because I didn't know what to do. And those, those are all emotions. And you know what? Um, if, if, uh, you would want, I have a, an emotion list. I haven't separated out. I can, um, send you a copy of that and let your listeners get it. Um, because I think it's really important for everybody to have. Um, and, and it's just another way to think about things that, um, just like your emotion wheel that you put up. Um, I have a list that really separates the, the, um, emotions in different emotional states that really helps people to start identifying emotions better. Um, and I would be happy to give that to you guys. Um, that would be awesome. I will definitely get that out and put that up on social media. Okay. And so, um, identifying those emotions really leads to our emotional balance because when we can identify our emotions, we don't have to act out to get other people like charades to understand what we're feeling. And so I think that behaviors are really like charades for babies. That's all they could do is they could act out what was going on with them because they didn't have words. Now we've grown up, we've become more sophisticated with our behaviors, but we still don't have the words until we learn that language. And this is where identifying your emotions can lead you to an emotional balance. Exactly. Because And this is something I really want to... Um, dive into because it's like, let's say with any of my friends or, or, or girlfriend, or anybody at all, they'll, they'll be like, well, how are you doing today? 
and my initial reaction is just, I'm fine. And then sometimes they'll dive it. How are you really doing? Well, you know, I don't know. I feel a little, I feel a little off. Okay. Why do you feel off? And it might take them asking me basically the same question five or 10 times before I even realize, oh, wow, I'm like super full of anxiety today. Well, right. why are you full of anxiety? Well, you know, I've got six things on my to-do list that I really want to get done this week. And what if I don't get them done? And now now I'm future pacing. I shouldn't be future pacing. Oh, damn it. More anxiety about me future pacing when I know I shouldn't be future pacing. And right. it's like, how do how do we identify emotions when you look at that emotion you know, feeling wheel I posted? And there, there's so many. The, you know, if that entire thing isn't even, uh, 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 like you said, it's an action wheel or it's, it's, there's like 75 things on there. If somebody asks me, how am I doing today? How am I possibly even remotely supposed to grab one of those things and then put, uh, words behind it? Right. And so, um, I have a, a smaller list. I have 27. Um, oh, thank goodness. Thank <laughs> goodness, guys. And, it's and only 27. <laughs> only 27. Um, and I, I also, um, you, you've heard Tony Robbins talk about uh, your emotional state or, or state control. Um, I talk about uh, emotional state control. And I believe that there's 27 emotions, but there's uh, three different states, uh, uh, like the victimizer or, or dominating state, uh, a victim state or a dominated and then uh, a balanced or objective kind of state where we're not either one, we're victorious maybe. Um, and so it's 27, but we are able to be in all different uh, levels or states depending on what happens. And so we move fluidly between these all the time. And uh, when we're not identifying our emotions, I call it the ring of fire. And we live in this ring of fire where we're trying to control our emotions and control everybody around us to control our emotions. And what ends up happening is we just push everybody away. We separate, we have a problem with everybody in the world. And at the same time, we have, uh, this overwhelming desire to connect with them, but we're pushing everybody away. So we're safe. And so it's that ring of fire where we're pushing away, but pulling towards at the same time. Um, it's, it's kind of like dating. Um, <laughs> and, and, and in fact, having a little bit of that is always good because it, it keeps the spice alive kind of thing. Um, but having too much of it, we're done and the relationship's over because we just can't stand that feeling of back and forth. And so learning how to identify our emotions actually brings us into regulation or balance with ourselves. And then we can actually do that with other people. And how, if somebody's, you know, so the listeners are sitting out there and they're trying to understand what emotion they felt this morning when they woke up, what emotion they felt whenever they're, uh, somebody in their family offered them coffee or whatever it might be, whenever this happens to them, should they be looking for, you know, let's say, you know, Hey Jess, would you like some coffee this morning? And let's say all of a sudden I get, I don't know, anxiety or I get angry because they offered me coffee. Like, <laughs> do I, Because I can get my own damn coffee. Stop. <laughs> I'm not a baby. I know how to get up and get my own coffee. Interesting, Right. Yeah. You know, it's like how, I want them to be able to walk away with an actionable step that when they feel it, they can understand what to do with it. Is there, is that, is that possible? It is possible. And, and the first thing that I tell everybody to do is when you have that triggering moment and you, you get wrapped in, you might not be able to do it right then, but then go back. And, and I, I don't know um, who in here has, has been through steps or, or what with what different recovery program they're in, but there's a, a step called a four step 
for a lot of the programs that is an inventory. And really, this goes into the daily inventory. Um, for me, uh, I was really a, a special case. And so I had to do minute to minute inventory sometimes. Um, but it, it really goes back to that inventorying. And for me, it's, it's about inventorying what I'm, tr- what's triggering me, what happened, what I was thinking, what emotion drove it. And then what was the outcome kind of thing. And so it's, it's just, it's just the regular process, but it's really helping to, um, understand that emotions driving it. And when I identify the emotion, it all goes away. That's the thing. A baby crying because it's hungry, as soon as it gets fed, it stops crying. If we feed ourselves by identifying the emotion and taking care of it, we stop having that behavior. And so when we really look at what we can do, we can start identifying our emotions. Like I said, I have I have an emotion list. I'll make sure that everybody has it. And if everybody if anybody wants to uh further contact me, I'll make sure that you have my uh contact information so that they can learn more about this if they're interested. Absolutely. And for those of you who are immediately triggered to want to figure out how to find that, I'm going to be posting that in the show notes. They're not so great on iTunes, but definitely go over to podbean.com, search for From Sobriety to Recovery. You're going to be able to find everything. It'll immediately link you right over to where you can find out more information because I want you all to be able to start to understand how your emotions and your behaviors and your thoughts, all of this is linking. And if you've listened to me in the past, then you know that when I talk about beliefs and circumstances, you know, triggering thoughts, feelings, actions, results, I've always said that you're going to show up in this wheel at any particular place. You could be in the middle of an action and all of a sudden have to go back and re-engineer, okay, well, what was the feeling that caused this action? What was the thought that caused the feeling? And what Terry's talking about is that identifying where you're at on this wheel and then just figuring out where you're going to go forward, re-engineering what got you here to begin with, um, because it all ties in. And so while we're bringing you different ideas, uh, uh, it's all under the same um, umbrella of understanding your emotions and behaviors better, because that's going to lead you to a, a better control over what you're feeling on any given moment. And Terry, I loved how you talked about doing the inventory, whether it's the daily journaling or the meditation, whatever people use out there, regardless of AA, Refuge, Smart, whatever program, your own individual program that you created out of all the programs, uh, being able to do that inventory and seeing what you could have done better that day and what you'll work on tomorrow, I think is invaluable. Totally agreed. Um, it's, it's about being able to communicate. And the first person we have to communicate, and Tony Robbins says this a long time ago. Um, I didn't hear it. I said it first as far as I know. But uh, he said, um, we have to learn how to communicate with ourselves first and then with everyone else. And so it's, it's really important that we learn how to communicate with ourselves. And that, that, that is that emotional communication. I just did that. What did that mean for me? And so it's really about um, being able to communicate with ourselves and then with everyone else. And as we do that, we stop separating and stop, uh, disconnecting from everybody else. I remember there was a situation one time where, um, I'm feeling like I'm in a fight with my, my partner, Christine, and I'm sitting there and I think she's mad at me and she's sitting on their couch and I'm across the room looking at her trying to figure out why she's mad at me because I'm feeling so disconnected from her and that's a feeling disconnected an emotion feeling disconnected and I'm sitting there looking at her trying to figure out why I'm feeling so disconnected well it just occurs to me that I'm having a freaking conversation with myself and she has no idea what I'm talking about to me <laughs> and in that moment is where I realized that oh my god 
I'm, I'm disconnected because I'm talking to me instead of her. And then, funny enough, I started talking to her and the feeling went away. And so it's really being able to communicate with yourself, not by that craziness I just talked about, but really identify the emotion and then take the action to make the change. I'm feeling disconnected. Talk to somebody. I'm feeling powerless. Again, talk to somebody, but then make a plan for movement forward. Don't just react, but but make a plan. And for me, the first plan is to connect with somebody else and talk to them about what I'm experiencing. Usually it's my partner, but sometimes um, it's it's somebody else in, in one of the programs that I'm in or a coach or or a mentor, whatever it is. I get the outside opinion or uh, outlook because inside my head, I'm going to tell myself the same thing. And it's usually based on protection and separation. And so it's really about creating unity, first reaching out saying, hey, I, I need help. I'm powerless over what's going on. My life's unmanageable is something that a lot of people say in recovery. But really what's going on is my life's not unmanageable. What's going on between my ears is unmanageable. And I need to talk to somebody about it. And then allow them to help me. And then again, move forward with what they suggest, following suggested instructions. And it's amazing how quickly my life changes when I do that. I love where you went with that too, because when you when I, when I think about communication, and I'm sitting there and I do this, I, I you know I I have I just live inside of my head, <laughs> and when I'm not communicating what I'm feeling, thinking, whatever it might be, outwardly to my partner, to my friends, um, there's a fear of rejection of whatever I'm feeling, whatever I'm thinking about them not agreeing with it, them not liking it, them not wanting to hear it, and, and I wonder how many of my listeners out there, you, know, how many of y'all have literally lived inside of your head with a thought you're having with a feeling uh, because you're afraid that if you look over at your partner and go, this is what's going on inside my head right now, they're going to look at you like you're a crazy person. <laughs> right? and, and, and I think, uh, I mean, and I've long talked about how I believe that fear is at the root of, of just human isolation. 100%. Um, human the, the the human problem we have right now is fear fear that somebody else might be right fear that somebody else's opinions might be better mm-hmm. fear that somebody else's way of life might overrule what i want um, all of it's fear and i can just picture you terry sitting on the couch with your wife you're the co-founder of your company having this conversation inside of your head and realizing <laughs> wait no wonder it's unmanageable and i'm and i'm disconnected because i'm doing this i'm speaking for her when she is right there exactly <laughs> but i'm afraid that if i tell her what i'm thinking or tell her what i want to do or tell her anything that's going on in this crazy head where i've just defied the law of physics in order to create this entire world if i tell her all of this she's going to reject it and then i'm going to have to face my fear of rejection and in fact it may not even be rejection that she's doing she just is merely giving you what she's seeing from her perspective, which is of course going to be different from yours. And then you just you do the dance and all of a sudden it becomes this, you know, amazing thing that you've created together rather than this disconnected, isolated world you were living in. Right. And the, the funny thing is, is I, I would take that a step further is like, if I don't actually step out and talk to her, one of us moving out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who's going to move out? Who gets the cats? Um, you know, and, and that's how far and how fast my head goes. Like, Oh my God. Uh, it's over. Um, she's not talking to me. And it's like that fast. It is so fast when we do that. Now, when we have, you know, uh, years of, of experience of actually identifying emotions or having these conversations or having the trust in the relationship, it doesn't go there, but it can go there very quickly. Even if it's not real, 
it feels real. Yes. And the feeling that it's real, it's, I mean, it can be just as much as being real. Like you were talking about with hypnosis earlier, yeah. right? You can, you can think that there is a dog barking underneath your chair because I've convinced you to believe that, but it's not really what's happening. Exactly. So when you're talking about, and, we, and this was the third major point we wanted to, to, to discuss today, uh, which was communication versus separation, conscious unity versus that unconscious separation that we're feeling. Yes. This is really at the foundation of that. It's getting out of your head and stop being in protection mode and start being in, in connection mode. Exactly. And wow, that actually might be a really cool top. That might be a really good uh, title for a speech. Get out of protection mode and into connection mode. Um, Don't you know, steal it. <laughs> hey everybody he's gonna steal it <laughs> I, it may, it, the, the brain is already already figuring out a way to add that to my repertoire um when people again back to the quarantine we're locked in our houses we're in this protection mode uh at times hopefully we're spending a majority of it connecting with everybody on a level that we've never experienced because no one can leave um what are some tips some action steps you would give for everyone out there to stop living in their head and separating and instead connect and communicate. Well, one of the things that um, it, it's really humorous, but uh, at least I think it's funny. Uh, you guys might not, but we, uh, me and Christine, my partner uh, started doing a long, long time ago, actually probably when we first got together, cause I started doing it long, long before that is I tell people that my head said this, I know you're not doing this, but my head said you were doing this. And really fact check is what it really is. Like, hey, you know what? My head's saying this and I know you're not. And so we, we, we let them off the hook, but then also admit that I've got this thing going on inside my head. And it does take a little bit of um, courage to say what's going on in your head because we're really, you know, all of us have that underlying fear that we're going to be alone. Um, and that's that fear of rejection. Uh, fear of abandonment and some people have it worse than others but if it gets triggered we're like oh no i can't say what i'm going to say i don't want to upset them i don't want to you know and, and and the mild form looks like i don't want to upset her i don't want to start a fight but really what it is is i don't want to be separated and so we refrain from saying it and then it builds and so really when we're in these situations the more that we talk about what's going on in our head and what we're feeling the more we're going to be unified, connected, be able to get through it all. And, you know, people worry about offending. We, we gotta, we gotta get away from worrying about offending each other and just, Hey, this is where I'm coming from. And I could be wrong. Um, really owning the fact that I could be wrong. And, and going back to that point that I made earlier is how am I wrong? You know what? I was wrong when I, when I was thinking this, but it came out and I want to get it out on the table. And so it's really about this rigorous honesty. And uh, one of my heroes in the 12-step programs talk about rigorous self-honesty. And the more honest we can be with ourselves, the more we can actually make change. Because when we're not honest with ourselves, we don't know where to start. Dive into that a little little bit more. When you're saying be honest with yourself, what would, if somebody's like, okay, I think I'm being honest with myself. What, how am I supposed to be more honest with myself? Is Great it, question. is it about, is it about the actions, thoughts, feelings? Yeah. What, what does that mean? If you're honest with yourself, go tell somebody that is, that is the litmus test or the acid test. Uh, 
it says in the big book. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the test is, can I say this out loud to somebody else? If I don't want to say it out loud, there's something going on with me that I don't want to admit. And so, you know, I don't know about anybody else, but I did not want to admit I had a problem with alcohol. I did not want to admit that I didn't know how to live life. I did not want to admit that I didn't know whatever, um, that I made the mess. I didn't want to admit any of that. But the more that I admitted it, the more honest I became, the less fear I had. And so as I admit all of those different fears, as I admit that I don't understand, as I admit that I'm the guy, um, I become more connected to other people. And it also really what we didn't expect is this allows other people to go, you know what, me too. And so we start to have identification. We have start, start to have that connection again. And so really admitting the fear um, and, and being rigorously honest about what's going on with us is, is the thing. You know, I, I, I used to talk about brutal honesty. I still do, I guess, because I'm doing it right now. Um, but brutal honesty versus uh, rigorous honesty. And brutal honesty, I'm telling you all about you. But rigorous honesty is telling you all about what's going on with me. And we become rigorously honest. We start to really have much better communication. And it brings us together and we start to really have the relationships we've always desired. Let's let's reiterate what you just said about brutal honesty versus rigorous honesty. <laughs> sure. You want me to say it? Um, yes. Okay. <laughs> brutal honesty is where I'm telling you what I honestly think about you, which is my opinion. It's not really honest in the first place. And it's just me pointing the finger at somebody else. And I got three probably pointing back at me saying that I'm doing what I'm accusing the other person of. And so brutal honesty is really just being mean. Rigorous honesty is really putting my hand up and going, I made the mess. I had a professor that said it different, but it's it's not okay for radio. Um, <laughs> and And so I made the mess. I made the mistake. It was me. Um, I was wrong. And so how am I wrong? It goes right back to how am I wrong? Whenever we can admit how we're wrong, there's freedom in that. I love, see, I really want you all, this is why I had Terry go back and reiterate this because we've discussed in the past projecting that whenever you're feeling something, when when you're, you're having an action and you start to project that onto somebody else, well, why aren't you doing this? And why aren't you doing that? And this is what you did. And th that's projecting is that he's right. If you look at yourself, you're like, all of a sudden you're pointing at them and saying, you're not communicating effectively. You're not showing me the love I want. You're not supporting me whenever I need it you got to look back and say, is that being brutally honest? Is that truth? Or is that rigorous honesty? Are you actually talking about yourself yet you're projecting it? And I've had this happen in, in previous relationships mm -hmm. where the, the, the woman will project whatever she's feeling onto me and say, well, you're doing this and you're doing that. And I'm sitting here like, I didn't know I was doing any of that. Like I was just over here doing my own thing. And you, you didn't even communicate any of what you just said to me <laughs> prior to prior to screaming it in my face right now in the middle of the street at two in the morning. Like none of this is making any sense to me. Why didn't you bring this up before it emotionally triggered you? So I love the brutal honesty, which is something we probably should seek to eliminate because it, yes. it doesn't sound nice versus the rigorous honesty of what is it that I'm actually doing? Uh, you know, what is it? One of my favorite things I, I, I learned is that we're, it, we're all a hundred percent responsible for the communication that we have. 
not 50-50. It's 100%. I'm 100% responsible for what I say. And I'm 100% yes. responsible for making sure that the that the listener understands it, right? Because they everything's getting run through their own through, through their own internal uh, representations, right? So I may have said one thing, they may have taken another. It's it's on me to make sure that they understand how I'm trying to get whatever it is I'm saying across. That's that's awesome. I actually uh, used to when I was working with uh, couples, or uh, also um, I worked with domestically violent men uh, in recovery. Um, recovering from their domestic violence as well as probably alcohol and drugs. But uh, they, they'd be like, it wasn't my fault. I go, okay, so we'll draw a circle and the whole circle is 100%. And so let's go with how much of their fault was it? And they could go all the way to 99. Okay, great. 99% of this circle is their fault. Great. So that 1%, how much is your responsibility around that 1%? A hundred. Great. Now we've separated out them from you. Now you're hundred percent responsible for your stuff. Can you deal with that? And they're like, yeah. And it's, it's just, oh, okay. I'm a hundred percent responsible for me. That's right. So now how do you want to go? And it's an amazing um, little way to help people to start really taking all responsibility for their actions. Um, and the reality is, is nobody's ever one percent responsible for something like you said it's a hundred percent hundred percent responsible for anything i'm involved in and so the more responsible more responsibility we take and the more rigorously honest we are about our responsibility the more we communicate the better our relationships become man what a fantastic topic to be covering during the quarantine terry we're going to get you out of here on this because it's just been a plethora of information. You're definitely going to be on a future quote unquote panel. I got to have you back. That's awesome. Uh, it just, I, I love the different take on things that you're bringing. I, I love that there, I love that there's certain things that we see agree on. And I love that there's certain things that I still don't know whether it's not even that I don't disagree. I don't just don't know enough to know. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I can't form an opinion. I mean, there's some stuff I'm hearing. I'm like, man, this is, this is blowing my mind. I no doubt it's going to bring a lot to the listener. Um, when you have this one moment to, to, to speak to the, the addiction recovery community that listens to my show, as they're going through this quarantine, as, as in, after it's over with, but specifically, I guess we could say just during this, what, are, what is an action step? What is, what is something that you'd want them to know? What's like that one big thing you would leave stage with where everybody would jump to their feet and applaud you? What's that thing that you can tell them right now that, would, that will help them I don't make that change today. I, I don't even know. I'm not even doing a good job asking this question. So. Well, <laughs> but there, 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 there's something powerful in you, I know. So let's hear it. You know, there's a couple of things that come to mind. And I don't know if this will make everybody rush the back of the stage. I really wish it would. But um, the reality is, is everyone that's listening to this, everyone in the world, except for the people that are sick, and even them spiritually, we're all okay already. We just don't know it. And so... As soon as we stop listening to ourselves and that noise that we have and get connected and communicating with ourselves around that emotion and being able to separate the behaviors and emotions and be able to really communicate the way that we were intended to, our life changes. And then the second thing that I would say is um, there's this uh, joke in 12-step in, uh, programs uh, called Rule 62. And Rule 62 is basically don't take yourself so goddamn seriously. Um, I think that's, that's where I'm at is just 
quit taking everything so seriously. Quit taking yourself so seriously. This is supposed to be an enjoyable experience, this life thing. And so if you're not enjoying it, you're doing it wrong. That'd be it. I I needed to hear that part. <laughs> <laughs> I needed I needed to hear rule 62 cuz I have this tendency to take everything I'm doing myself so seriously. Um and there's sometimes I, I look back and I'm like god when was the last time I really laughed? Like really just belted out a laugh where like tears started coming down my eyes because when I was younger and I didn't take myself so seriously, uh, again, I was super intoxicated most of the time, but there, it seemed like there was a level of, of laughter that I was able to attain that is missing in my addiction recovery. And I do think it's because sometimes I'm, I take everything so seriously. Like, am I working hard enough at my addiction recovery today? Am I communicating effectively? Am I monitoring my feelings so that I'm in control and they're not in control of me? What are the thoughts that sparked them? Oh my God, I got to know what thoughts sparked them. What was the event? Should I even have been in that event? I mean, I shouldn't have been at that event. It's like, all of a sudden there's just becomes this huge swirl. I'm just like, step back. What can I control right now? What, what, what can I be more present toward right now and just breathe? Yeah. Yeah. Take it easy. Take it easy because the reality is, is I didn't get sober. And I say this to myself, whenever I say this to myself, I realize that it's time for a change. Uh, I didn't get sober to be miserable. And so if you're having misery, if you're not happy with what's going on and you're sober and you want to change, or even if you're not in the program, but you're just listening to this for whatever reason you, you turn on and you, it sounds interesting. If you're not happy in your current life, it doesn't have to be that way. You can make change. Get a hold of Jesse. Get a hold of me. Whoever you need to. Get a hold of somebody who can help you make those changes that you desperately want. We can if help. That doesn't, if that doesn't get him rushing to the back of the stage, nothing will. <laughs> awesome. That's, that's the message, guys. I want you to understand is that you didn't get sober to be miserable. Whatever it is that is that is causing those kind of negative feelings inside of you, there is an opportunity that you have every single day to start making that change that, that will get you there. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to just be one step. It is a journey like this addiction recovery journey that we're on every single day is another step towards that life that we've always desired. I want nothing more than happiness for you during this quarantine and especially coming out of it. And I, Terry, I thank you so much for taking your time out of your quarantine day to come on the show to, to, to just spread your, your wealth of knowledge and your wisdom on my listeners. It has really been a pleasure. I'm so glad that you saw that post on Facebook and that you responded the way you, you did. Had you not, this would not have happened today and it has just been magical. Oh, I, I've enjoyed every minute of it too. I'm, I'm super excited that you brought me in and I can't wait for the next time. Oh, there will definitely be a next time. Awesome. So, Yes, absolutely. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for sticking it out. I know these are normally, you know, I like to say half hour long shows and they always tend to reach towards the 40, but we've gotten you out for almost an hour today. I hope you've made it to the end and you've learned a ton. You have action steps. Go out there, get out of your head, start communicating with those that are closest to you. Identify the emotion that is happening inside of you so that you can communicate it outwardly. Realize that behaviors and emotions are absolutely different things. Um, Terry's going to get us his, his emotion list. We're going to post that over on Facebook and Instagram at From Sobriety to Recovery. Please check the show notes. Uh, any links that Terry gives me for you to be able to reach out and find out more about what he does will be located there. Again, I recommend Podbean is the best avenue to get them the most efficiently. Um, identify emotions for emotional balance, communication, 
actively communicate rather than getting inside of your head and separating. These are some of the main points that we've covered today. If you'd like to know more, again, find out the show notes. jessemogul.com is always a place that you can go check out for things that I do. Terry's contacts will be in the show notes. As always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Take care, guys. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. 